0: The Red Pill Revolution As the cases against Trump begin to unravel, so does the public's trust. Guess what I'm doing on Super Tuesday? I'm registering as a Republican to vote for Donald Trump in the primary in California. They won't allow me to vote as an independent for President of the United States, so for the first time in my life, I will be one of those people I used to judge and hate. I also plan to vote red straight down the line. Oh, I realize this is like spitting in the Pacific Ocean in my state. Still, if other residents in California are starting to see what anyone driving through Los Angeles or San Francisco can see, there's a small chance the dark blue state might start to purple. For podcast listeners, a tweet by Peachy Keenan showing voter trends for U.S. Senate primary with Steve Garvey, the Republican, pulling ahead of Adam Schiff and Katie Porter. I know I'm not the only American sick of the whining, the caterwauling, the temper tantrums, because the ruling class isn't getting what they want. Wow, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case on presidential immunity. Wah, Trump said something in one of his speeches. Wow, the New York Times wrote a negative column on Joe Biden.
1: So we begin with Keith Oberman, oh, who are, no. we're adding to our repertoire, justifiably yes. so. Take mm-hmm. a watch. Oh, no.
2: The conservatives on the Supreme Court are Trump's whores. <clears throat> Chief Justice Roberts is a Trump whore and he can burn in hell. And Justice Alito <laughs> is a Trump whore and he can burn in hell. And Justice Gorsuch is a self contradicting Trump whore and he can burn in hell. And Justice <laughs> Kavanaugh is a drunken abuser Trump whore and he can burn <laughs> oh, in hell. Wow. And Justice Barrett is a handmade Trump whore and she can burn in hell. They are corrupt. They have corrupted the Supreme Court. We will have to remove them from the Supreme Court. Or create a replacement for the Supreme Court.
1: Yes. Oh excellent. It's a good plan. Yeah, I think
3: that's when the whores come in.
0: The only thing they haven't done is prove to the American people that they're the better option than the guy who promises to close the border, clean up the streets, crack down on crime, and get our economy back on track in a way Americans can feel. Not just because Paul Krugman delivers yet another sanctimonious op-ed of Biden talking points. There are plenty of candidates for the most flattering magic mirror propagandist for the Biden administration. Rachel Maddow, Stephen Colbert, Pod Save America, Lawrence O'Donnell. But really, it's Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski who have now decided to yet again be clown themselves by platforming a stupid book that looks a lot more like Mein Kampf than any revelation about Trump supporters. All so they can keep eating dinner with Joe and Jill. White rural rage. How dare they ask the government to care about them? Those roving bands of racists and bigots, be gone with thee. We're the only ones who get to deny election results and burn down cities because we're mad.
1: And as we barrel toward a uh, likely rematch of the 2020 election, one candidate continues to have a hold over white rural voters. But it's not Joe Biden, seen here as a boy on the right side of your screen who went to public school, is the son of a used car salesman, and was born to a middle class family in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Instead, it is Trump here on the left side, a private school educated son of a New York City real estate tycoon who became a millionaire at eight years old and didn't have to serve because he claimed he had bone spurs in his little feet. So why is it that Trump appeals so much to a group he couldn't be more different from? Joining us now, professor of political science at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Tom Schaller, and journalist and opinion writer, Paul Waldman. Their new book, Out Tomorrow, is entitled White Rural rage, the threat to American democracy. And Tom, we'll start with you. Uh, Why are white rural voters a threat to democracy at this point? You would think, as we pointed out, looking at Joe Biden's background and Donald Trump's, that that the opposite would be true.
4: I mean, we lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. First of all, and we show 30 polls and national studies to demonstrate this. So We provide the receipts in Chapter 6. They're the most racist, xenophobic anti-immigrant anti-gay geodemographic group in the country second they're the most conspiracist group QAnon support and subscribers, election denialism, COVID denialism, and scientific skepticism, Obama birtherism. Third, anti democratic sentiments. They don't believe in an independent press, free speech. They're most likely to say the president should be able to act unilaterally without any checks from Congress or the courts or their bureaucracy. They're also the most strongly white nationalist and white Christian nationalist. And fourth, they are most likely to dis- excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative to. Peaceful public discourse. So
1: you mentioned a lot of negative factors yeah. about about this this demographic. Um, Tom, what else do they have in common?
5: Uh, with well, you know, I think that the what what really matters I mean, at this point. What makes them in vulnerable? Time, oh well, a lot of that has to do with uh, as a starting point the problems that rural America has, which are very real and very profound. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, the more. Uh, problematic uh, education systems. They have poor infrastructure. They've had a a lack of economic opportunity. We've seen a lot of manufacturing jobs leave from rural areas and Mm -hmm. that kind of left them open to someone like Donald Trump who would come along and tell them something that was true there there is a system that has not served them well. Mm -hmm. And he said they're pissed off. They are pissed off and they have some reason to be Mm -hmm. with both parties. the the trouble is that what donald trump uh gave them was not something that was actually going to fix those problems but was just a, a, a kind of a, a way to channel their rage and anger and you know we've been told for so long especially democrats have been told that in order to get rural voters to get them to listen to you you have to go there you have to really empathize right. with them you have to show them that you understand their lives you have to you know put on a carhartt jacket and go right, down to somebody's right. farm have a and- beer And, yeah, maybe milk a cow. Yes. And it turned out that none of that was true. No. When Donald Trump came along, he didn't do any of that stuff. He was just a conduit for their rage, their anger, their resentment. And that turned out to be what they wanted. And it wasn't really about the material uh, conditions of their lives, because he didn't improve their lives, but he got more support in rural areas in 2020 than he had in 2016, despite the fact that none of their problems had gotten any better under him. All that he gave them was a way to essentially give a big middle finger to Democrats, to people who live in cities, and to the rest of the country.
0: Isn't he
1: more than a conduit to their rage? Isn't he also... Um, a symbol of their aspirations to an extent?
4: They are, but what are their aspirations? As we To write be the rich. Book, I guess, but they're not getting there, right? Poverty is soaring in between 20. And why aren't
1: they seeing that?
4: I think this is the disconnect, right? They'd rather channel their rage. I think what a lot uh, of rural white Americans have decided is that their economic.
0: This has never been about Trump. It has always been about the people, our government, our culture, many of our institutions left behind. The smartest people in this country are still too stupid to get that. It's about trade deals that made the rich richer and hollowed out the middle. It's about people at the top whose problems are existential, falsely believing all of us should care about their utopian dreams for America's future. Solar power and genderless babies, men chest-feeding and white kids afflicted with shame for the color of their skin. A whole generation of non-whites believing they can't achieve anything in this country unless a Democrat hands it to them abortion as convenient as fast food, and a massive labor force of illegal immigrants who will birth the next generation of a submissive underclass. They've known for seven years that Americans were unhappy enough with their government to elect an outsider. All we've gotten from the Democrats since is their singular obsession to win their war on the one guy they couldn't destroy. Now these idiots have decided that the only way to fix the election for Biden is to lock up the orange man bad, in an orange jumpsuit, and frog-march him off to prison. The problem is, it's backfiring. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see how this thing has moved the needle ever since the indictments came down. For podcast listeners, a poll from Real Clear Politics, General Election, Trump versus Biden, showing Trump starting to pull ahead in August, September, October. Biden was tracking mostly ahead of Trump until around March, when Biden's approvals tanked and by April, Trump pulled ahead. That was right around the time of Alvin Bragg's first indictment in March of 2023 for an absurd hush money case. In June 2023, a federal grand jury indicted Trump for taking classified documents. That did seem to move the needle a bit, and Trump was down again. In August of 2023, Jack Smith indicted Trump on four counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Conspiracy against rights. Also in August, the Fonnie Willis indictments. Solicitation of violation of oath by public officer. False statements in writing. Filing false documents. Solicitation of violation of oath by public officer. Trump's gift has always been to expose the swamp creatures for exactly who they are and what they've done to the democracy they pretend to care about. When they came after Nixon during Watergate, it was an unmasking of a popular president that many Americans believed was an honest man. But they can't play that card now. For podcast listeners, a poll of the Nixon presidency. Had they hit Trump with one indictment, maybe the American people would have been horrified and disillusioned. But by now, what haven't they thrown at him?
6: So Donald Trump is the first president to be wiretapped and spied on. He's the first president to be impeached twice. And acquitted twice, he's the first president to be banned and censored on social media, he's the first president to have his home raided by the FBI, he's the first president to be indicted not once, but four times, and he's the first citizen and former president to have a judge with no jury unilaterally decide and impose a $350 million fine in a civil case where not a single law was broken, there were zero victims, and all loans were paid back on time. I don't know about you, but I'm supporting the guy with the most impeachments, indictments, lawsuits, and unconstitutional. Constitutional fines because that's the guy they clearly fear the most. I mean, at this point, unless you live under a rock, whether you love him or whether you hate him, you have to see that this is all politically motivated. For seven years, it's all been part of a plan to target him, make him bow, take his swag away, humble him, and to break him and his supporters down. The funny thing is, it keeps backfiring.
0: The American people can see that these same swamp creatures decide who should and shouldn't run. And if they don't like you or threatened by you, then they have the right to Use the FBI and foreign intelligence to spy on you before you take office. Pay informants to spy on you while you're in office. Impeach you for whatever they can find two years into your first term. Use the entire legacy media and social media army to attack you for everything from how you drink water How you walk down a ramp, distort what you've said to turn you into a supervillain, call you fat, mock your hands, accuse you of sleeping with your own daughter, call you a racist, a Nazi, a bigot, a fascist, a dictator, and eventually a traitor, an insurrectionist, and now a criminal and a felon. Convict you for crimes for which you are not even charged, because the propaganda press said so. Then throw you off the ballots in several states, disenfranchising millions. They decide that you are a threat because people like Barbara Streisand and Robert De Niro can't stand living in a country with people who would vote for you. So they decide to raise a billion in dark money and on their own change laws in various states to pull in a win they planned months in advance, then condition the public to accept the results. And if anyone protests, they have the right to brand them as terrorists and enemies of the state. Here is Glenn Greenwald. And the irony
3: of this is that in order to argue this... The prosecutors had to say what Donald Trump was saying, which is that the certification of the Electoral College by the Congress on January 6th is not merely a ministerial or ceremonial act, that it's actually a real government investigation to dig into the validity of the certified results of the state's election results in the Electoral College, that it's actually a real investigative proceeding of the kind Starbings obviously was designed to criminalized if you disrupted it, even for three hours. And it was a preposterous theory because the entire point of those who want to turn January 6th into an insurrection was that there is nothing to decide on January 6th. It's just a ceremonial uh, ritual and that the Congress has no discretion. And it was, of course, Trump's argument to Mike Pence. No, Congress does have discretion, which is why as vice president you have the power to reject the the certified rulings if you believe there was fraud there. So they actually had to adopt Trump's view of January 6th, that this was no symbolic act or ritual or ceremony that was just empty, but it was actually a discretionary government investigation into the Electoral College. And that that alone is how they accused January 6th defendants who didn't use violence of being felons by saying they disrupted for three whole hours a... Government investigation of the kind Sarbanes-Oxley was designed to turn into felonies. Now, here's what the court ruling said today, and you can hear by the, the tone of the Washington Post how clear of a victory, how major of a victory it is, not only for January 6th defendants, but also for the right to protest in general. It's been, victories have been very few and far between for January 6th defendants. Prosecutors have just run roughshod over all of their rights. Here you see the... Washington Post story on this from today: Appeals court ruling that vacates Capitol rioter's sentence could impact dozens of January 6 cases. While a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit upheld Larry Brock's conviction, the court said a judge wrongly applied an enhancement that lengthened the recommended prison sentence range under federal guidelines. The enhancement, on the ground that Brock's conduct resulted in "quote substantial interference with the administration of justice." ...has been implied in more than 100 other January 6 defendants' cases, said Patricia Hartman, a spokesperson for the Washington U.S. Attorney's Office. If the ruling stands, those defendants who have not already completed their prison term may push for new sentences. The obstruction felony charge is already at the center of another case the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments on next month that could upend hundreds of Capitol riot cases... The justices agreed to hear the appeal fired by lawyers for another rioter charged with obstruction of an official proceeding, one of the most widely used charges brought in the January 6th attack. <clears throat> Brock's attorney had said in court papers that the misapplied enhancement likely increases client's sentence by about nine months. Prosecutors had recommended the sentence of five years in prison.
0: If this were a Hollywood movie or reality TV show, people like me would not have gone from seeing Trump as the greatest threat ever to walk the face of the earth to the scrappy underdog taking on the empire. The Democrats stupidly have cast themselves as the rebels, but with their indictments against Trump, they must now take on the role of Governor Tarkin, who was once told in no uncertain terms by Princess Leia: The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Everyone loves a good story, but Americans especially love a hero's journey, Joseph Campbell style. And right about now, anyone who doesn't watch MSNBC or reads the New York Times is rooting for the underdog. What do Harry
7: Potter, Katniss Everdeen, and Frodo all have in common with the heroes of ancient myths? What if I told you they are all variants of the same hero? Do you believe that? Joseph Campbell did. He studied myths from all over the world and published a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, retelling dozens of stories and explaining how each represents the monomyth, or hero's journey. So, what is the hero's journey? Think of it as a cycle. The journey begins and ends in the hero's ordinary world, but the quest passes through an unfamiliar, special world. Along the way, there are some key events. Think about your favorite book or movie. Does it follow this pattern? Status quo, that's where we start. One o'clock, call to adventure. The hero receives a mysterious message, an invitation, a challenge. Two o'clock, assistance. The hero needs some help, probably from someone older, wiser. Three o'clock, departure. The hero crosses the threshold from his normal safe home and enters the special world and adventure. We're not in Kansas anymore. Four o'clock, trials. Being a hero is hard work. Our hero solves a riddle, slays a monster escapes from a trap five o'clock approach it's time to face the biggest ordeal the hero's worst fear six o'clock crisis this is the hero's darkest hour he faces death and possibly even dies only to be reborn seven o'clock treasure as a result the hero claims some treasure Special recognition or power. Eight o'clock, result. This can vary between stories. Do the monsters bow down before the hero, or do they chase him as he flees from the special world? Nine o'clock, return. After all that adventure, the hero returns to his ordinary world. 10 o'clock, new life. This quest has changed the hero. He has outgrown his old life. 11 o'clock, resolution all the tangled plot lines get straightened out. 12 o'clock, status quo, but upgraded to a new level. Nothing is quite the same once you're a hero.
0: Any other person would have given up by now. And that's what makes Trump the hero of this story and why a growing number of Americans are rooting for him. They're rooting for the cases against him to fall apart. They want their hero to prevail. Here's Megan Kelly. This is
1: why lovers of America should be rooting for Trump in all four of these cases. Yeah. That's why you should be rooting for Trump. Yeah. You, you know, you try. I know they're not going to, but, that, but the, the country's on the line. What we stand for, who we are, how we operate, the future. Are we a banana republic or not? All that stuff is on the line in these cases, no
0: matter whether you love him or hate him. The zone of interest. In the past three years, I've thought a lot about how easy it is to slip into the mindset that leads to concentration camps, gulags, segregation, and ultimately mass executions. When one group with all of the power gets tired of those who aren't like them, they find ways to justify getting rid of them. And the people go along with it because they like things better without them too. They just don't want to get their hands dirty. It's like one of the films nominated for Best Picture, Jonathan Glazer's masterful The Zone of Interest. It depicts a Nazi family going about their daily lives during the horrors of Auschwitz. They're raising kids, gardening, and swimming in the river. They're making plans for the future, attending parties, worrying about getting a promotion. We never see the camps. We only hear them as the horrors hum in the distance. We see glimpses of the people they are trying to exterminate.
2: Hello, my name is Jonathan Glazer, and I'm the writer and director of The Zone of Interest. So we open the sequence on a prisoner gardener, one of whose duties is to clean Rudolf Hoss the Commandant's boots. So everything you're going to see in this scene was shot simultaneously with ten cameras. We're watching Hedwig Hoss here with her friends. having a, It's a typical weekday morning in the Hoss house. The cameras just shot those women in the kitchen, uh, is running simultaneously, the camera's in here shooting this girl uh, and she is a character called Aniela who was real and uh, lived and worked in the Hoss house as a domestic servant like so many of the local Polish girls worked in SS houses for them and their families. I'm following her in the sequence rather than the main characters because it's really one of the only times in the film where we can see and connect and spend time with, um, essentially, uh, a victim of these atrocities. She's not a Jewish girl. She's a local Polish girl. As long as she keeps her head down and gets on with her work, she'll be safe. So that's what you see here, really, is my direction to her remember, was to be, to be invisible. That's what she had to do, and to do everything as if her life depended on it. So every action is so carefully considered here. She's really fantastic.
0: This resonates with the ruling class because they envision themselves as the ones under threat by the Nazis. And when my friends talked about the banality of evil in this movie, I knew there was no way they would ever see themselves in that film. But the truth is, they're going along with everything our government, our media, and so many Democrats have done to Trump and his supporters for seven years.
8: A terrifying night of violence as Donald Trump supporters were attacked by an angry mob waiting for them outside a Trump rally. It happened in San Jose. As the crowd headed home, they were set upon. Oh one young woman tried to take them on, proudly showing off her Trump shirt.
9: She's egging them on. She's egging them on.
8: Then it turns scary. She's hit in the face with watermelon and raw eggs. Oh, my God. She finds herself all alone and cornered, the crowd screaming obscenities. And no one came to her aid, not even the cops. Someone never, never in. Finally, she gets back inside and
1: finds sanctuary. I was so scared watching this video, afraid for what was going to happen next to this young lady. And why were the police officers holding the doors and not grabbing her and pulling her inside?
8: Headlines this
1: morning say people
8: leaving the rally were hunted and chased down like prey. Watch as this young man runs for his life, he's caught and knocked down. Look at the fear in his face as he attempts to flee.
5: Another fist fight's about to break out right now. Trump reporter
8: is getting fumbled right now. This guy's build the wall t-shirt was ripped off his back. Then he's knocked and punched by six men. Run! get the hell out of here. That's a reporter you hear telling him to
4: flee. Seven more people just come in, start punching me. Uh-huh.
8: the mob even followed the trump supporters to their cars inside a parking garage the assaults continued an suv was rocked and hit Nazi
9: b- Nazi Nazi Nazis!
4: was a blatant cheap shot in Laguna Beach Sunday night. Video catches a man walk up behind Trump supporter R.C. Maxwell, then take a swing at him. If the optics were completely different and I was a Black Lives Matter supporter and I was attacked on the Trump side of a protest, I would be spotlight on CNN right now.
0: Why says his cuts and bruises came shortly after another Trump supporter was pushed to the ground
8: and kicked in the head.
0: Trump supporters were beaten, spit on, egged, threatened, murdered, and screamed at. Just as any other group in history, from victims of school bullies to victims of war crimes were. And somehow, the morally superior just looked the other way. They wanted them gone too. They just didn't want to get their hands dirty. Fear leads to dehumanization, which ultimately leads to throwing people away like human garbage. Here is a juxtaposition to show the two realities in the two Americas. For podcast listeners, a tweet from Brandon Straka. February 25th marked the two-year anniversary of Matthew Pernas' suicide. I'll never forget hearing about Matt's passing. I was on house arrest at the time. And although more than a year had passed since January 6th, I had not met any other J6 defendants. Juxtaposed against a tweet from Jacob Thornberry. Guys, he's not in director jail if a studio won't give him $100 He can make a great film with a smaller budget. He will be fine if he wants to be. And a tweet from Discussing Film. Damien Chazelle says he's working on his next script, but is unsure it'll get made after Babylon. I won't get a budget of Babylon size anytime soon, but at least not on the next one. And here is Brandon Straco's full tweet. February 25th marked the two-year anniversary of Matthew Perna's suicide. I'll never forget hearing about Matt's passing. I was on house arrest at the time, and although more than a year had passed since January 6th, I had not met any other J6 defendants. Up until then, I had no frame of reference besides my experience to understand what the government was doing to people. Matt's death and the obituary that came with it were like a shockwave. They validated the experience I had— and I would later find out, after meeting other J6 defendants, that hundreds of people had. His obituary was brutally and unapologetically honest. Quote, His community, which he loved, his country and the justice system, killed his spirit. The constant delays in hearings, the postponements dragged out for over a year. Because of this, Matt's heart broke and his spirit died. Straka continues, the stunning silence of the conservative movement, coupled with the relentless drum-banging from the leftist media, brainwashed liberals, and a weaponized DOJ, stating that J6ers were getting what they deserved, led to the deep hopelessness that has to date led five people to end their lives, rather than continue to endure what is being leveled at them for trespassing on January 6. Matt's death will not be in vain as it was one of the most pivotal happenings that began to expose the lies and injustices of January 6th and change the public's understanding of what was being done to people, as well as bringing attention to the countless lives that have been permanently destroyed because of the left's irrational and pathological hatred of Donald Trump. Matt's aunt, Jerry Perna, has been a tireless warhorse advocating for justice For Matthew and justice for J6 defendants. Was it cancel culture or social conditioning? What we all thought was a passing phase of a freaked out utopian society, shocked by Trump's win in 2024, turned out to be a dress rehearsal for their coup against democracy and our republic. There was a reason politicians said nothing, even Obama, who famously criticized cancel culture once upon a time. Why didn't they? It was too useful for them. Imagine a system of justice that eliminated due process and the presumption of innocence and instead relied on trial by mob. Think of all the undesirables they could just get rid of. Podcast listeners, a tweet from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, quote, People who are actually cancelled don't get their thoughts published and amplified in major outlets. This has been a public service announcement. The term cancel culture comes from entitlement, as though the person complaining has the right to a large captive audience and one is a victim if people choose to tune them out. Odds are you're not actually cancelled, you're just being challenged, held accountable, or unliked. The now-defunct blue checks on Twitter, thank you Elon, set the rules that everyone was required to follow or else. Kavanaugh was a rapist, and if you said otherwise, you were a rapist apologist. J.K. Rowling was a hateful bigot, and if you said otherwise, you were a bigot too. On and on it went, as hundreds were fired, publicly humiliated, and convicted in the court of public opinion. So when they dropped Parler from Amazon's server, and they kicked Trump off of Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and they banned speech about COVID, the election, the vaccine, gender-affirming care, everyone numbly went along with it. If they didn't, you're next. So many foolishly believed that Biden's election would mean it would stop. Oh, how wrong they were. It just became official government policy. We can now draw a clear, bright line from cancel culture to the violent uprisings in the summer of 2020 to a fully weaponized justice system orchestrated by people at the top who seem to think it is their right to do this. And why wouldn't they? Look at everything they've gotten away with so far. They believe they are doing what the fanatics who drove cancel culture were doing, purging their protected spaces of bad people. Our government just needed to convince the public that Trump and his supporters were racists and bigots driven by rural white rage. And the public would go along with it just as they did with cancel culture. The truth is all of us should have stood up and stopped it when it was the size of the baby alien that bursts out of John Hurt's stomach, scurries off into the darkness only to emerge as a monster that bleeds acid for blood and can't be killed.
9: Oh no, 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 Don't touch it, don't touch it, Hey, hey, come on, baby. Come on, baby. That's a kitty,
7: okay.
9: that's a kitty. Okay. Come
7: on,
3: baby.
0: Saving our republic will not come down to either Trump or Biden. It will come down to a few good journalists and a handful of honest judges who will do the hard job of pushing back against this totalitarian regime and freeing all Americans up to vote for the person who best represents their interests. Even the aliens met their match with Ripley. Thank you for listening to this podcast, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self be true.
9: me run to the rock, These hack me, Lord, all on them day. But the rock cried right out, I can't hide you, the rock cried right I can't hide you, the rock cried right I ain't gonna hide you, down all on them day. I said, rock, what's the matter with you, rock? Lord all on that day, so I ran to the river. It was bleeding around to the sea. It was bleeding around to the sea. It was bleeding all on that day, so I run to the Lord. Please heart me, Lord.